Hello, everybody. I'm Party Parslow, and this is Party in China, the story of my fascinating, frustrating, and very, very funny adventures teaching English in the Chinese provinces of Sichuan and Jiangsu. This is the truth, but it's not the whole truth because too much happened, and it's not nothing but the truth because there are jokes and hearsay and conjecture and guesses and mistakes. And because I went from being one of the smartest guys in the room to the village idiot in a city of five million people. This is episode seven, and I still haven't actually taught a class yet. Sorry, I thought I would have by now. After I told Mr. Wong that I considered it impolite for him to just show up at my apartment unexpectedly, he took to ringing me and ordering me to come to his office unexpectedly. This was, of course, much worse. Usually it was something which could just as easily have been done over the phone, sorting out a question of grammar or definition or writing advice. But the initial summons was on the second day of school and I was called in to explain why I'd missed all my classes on the first day of school. When I pointed out that no one had told me when, where or what I'd be teaching, there was an eruption between Mr Wong, his boss Mr Liu and their associate, Miss Zhuang. My first impression of the Chinese people was that everybody was angry at everybody else. The shouting and strong emotions displayed over the slightest disagreement appeared so intense that rage seemed the only feasible explanation, but in general, it's all noise and bluster. This particular storm subsided just as quickly as it had erupted, and amid apologies, I was handed my rosters, one for junior classes, one for senior. Neither meant anything to me, as the numbers were all in Chinese and I couldn't recognise the traditional characters yet. The others seemed genuinely surprised at my lack of this most basic numeracy, and I felt a marked drop in my standing. Eager to regain their respect, I applied my massive intellect to the problem and deduced that the first number was more than likely one, which meant the next one would be a two, then three, etc., etc., etc. So the lesson order was common sense, but there were no times for the classes. When I pointed this out to Mr Wong, he explained that juniors and seniors started the day at different times. Ah, OK. But that didn't help at all. I still needed to know what time to go to what classroom. Starting at the top of each day and adding 40 minutes next to each number and a 10-minute break in between them, the rosters started to make some kind of sense until I discovered that I was supposed to be teaching a class right then. In fact, I was supposed to be teaching two, one junior and one senior. Pointing out this clerical error immediately restored my former favourable status. And together, Mr Wong and I proceeded urgently and importantly to the Dean's office, where he gleefully apprised the bursar of his obvious incompetence. Much more yelling ensued. I didn't understand at the time, but after many more such situations, now think I recognise the sequence of events. When I was called to the office, it was to be scolded for not being at work, so I should have lost face, but it wasn't my fault. So they lost face. And while the three of them tried blaming each other, I briefly had the upper hand. But when I couldn't understand the Chinese numerals, they once again regained supremacy. 
until I pointed out the double booking mistake, which allowed them to save everybody's face by finding fault with somebody else entirely, so we could all be friends again. That had all been kind of interesting, but now it was time for the most interesting part of each school day for me. Lunch. In the teacher's cafeteria and the always fascinating game of... Guess what you're eating? I had to guess because no one could or sometimes would tell me. Early on, before abandoning all hope, I'd ask a nearby English teacher, but I'd always get an unhelpful reply such as, it's very delicious. Chinese people like it. It's like a melon that only grows in winter. It's not bamboo. It's from the sea, but it's not a fish. I don't know the English word, but it grows on stone. And the self-fulfilling, if I tell you, you won't eat it. One time, I suspected something white and rubbery might be sheep tripe, but naturally the other teachers wouldn't know that word. So I went, bah, and pointed at my belly. No, they said, not bah. <coughs> and then added, not belly, lower down. Sichuan food is hot. Everything has chili in it. Even salads have chili oil dressing. The locals believe that the heat in the food drives out the dampness in the body caused by the climate. So without the chili, you get sick. Well, I got sick of chili. In Sydney's Chinatown, I'd occasionally endured the numbing heat of the Sichuan flower pepper. But there, it had been crushed and mixed throughout the meal. In Sichuan, the flower peppers are dropped in whole, like landmines from a helicopter. And the homegrown version is considerably fiercer. The first time you accidentally bite into one, you're not sure if you're having a stroke or someone's punched you in the mouth. You may start to weep or write a will. But in general, the cafeteria food was edible, although some things looked just too slithery to risk. However, I'd sometimes be enjoying a delicious dish at a restaurant and realise it was something I'd already eaten at school, but that this was how it was supposed to taste. It was in a restaurant I learned that what I thought was a fairly tasteless salad was really cold sliced pig's ear. And I immediately abandoned my healthy habit of spooning heaps of tofu onto my plate when another teacher said approvingly, Ah, you like pig brain. The Chinese pride themselves on eating every part of the pig and give you a meaningful look when they say, Every. Once, what I thought was a potato floating in a stew turned out to be a testicle. <coughs> Just threw up a bit in my mouth. But eating at the cafeteria had two advantages. Lunch was free. Breakfast and dinner only cost a pittance. And as I mainly chose easily identifiable vegetables, I lost 12 kilos that year. Or perhaps my weight loss was due to the guilt induced by the huge poster of starving African children on the wall. If it was there to reduce food wastage, it failed miserably. Every day, the huge pail was full to overflowing with an ugly concoction of leftovers. And the students' canteens were even more wasteful. A local pig farmer drove his tractor up after each meal and took the pails away on a trailer. 
Poor pigs. I often saw teachers spit and empty their noses into the mixture. Before school even started, I disgraced myself in the cafeteria. As the only foreigner there yet, I was the focus of every stare and felt very exposed, even flummoxed. So when I sat down at one of the low and tiny tables with the attached stools so small they nearly became suppositories, I summoned a chutzpah to confidently brandish my chopsticks and immediately dropped huge gobs of UFO onto my shirt. UFO was what I called unidentified fried objects. My clumsiness sparked unrestrained hilarity among the faculty and while I'm always happy to get a laugh, I struggled to understand why I'd lost my usual dexterity with chopsticks. After several more shirt stains with accompanying guffles from the crowd, the kind cafeteria lady brought me a tablespoon, which was humbling but provided the answer. She took the chopsticks from and placed the spoon into my right hand, reminding me that I'm left-handed. Wielding the chopstick southpaw style improved the immediate situation but didn't solve the problem entirely. Every lunchtime I'd blot and smear at least a small amount of greasy food stuff on my clothing. I did think of creating a large bib covered in a numbered grid and playing bingo based on where the food fell, but that seemed like too much trouble. So I just took to wearing yesterday's outfit again the next morning staining them at lunchtime and changing into a clean outfit for the afternoon classes. The kind cafeteria lady continued to give me a tablespoon each and every meal, even though I was too stubborn to use it. If she wasn't there, the huge tray of chopsticks would still contain a single solitary spoon. In fact, the original title of this memoir was going to be Thousands of Chopsticks and Only One Spoon. My second working title was The Year of Living Deangerously. But everyone I told that to really hated it. Trevor and I studied and compared our new rosters and discovered we each had one lesson per week with six of the 12 classes in year four, they're like 11 year olds, and four of the eight classes in year 10, 16 year olds. Additionally, I had three lessons a week with the senior internationals, whoever the hell they were, and Trevor had Friday evenings with another special class. Our contract stipulated 20 teaching hours per week, which I'd thought meant 20 lessons, but which actually equaled 30 lessons of 40 minutes each. Sneaky. However, we were only teaching 13 classes. It soon went up to 15, but that was still only 10 hours of class time a week, very much a part-time job. Over lunch, Trevor very sensibly asked what we were supposed to teach that afternoon and how we were to make up the classes we'd missed the day before. I went and relayed his questions to Mr Wong. He seemed confused. Your teach English? Uh, yes, uh, but what specifically? Which textbooks do we use? What lesson are we up to? You do not need textbooks. You decide what lesson. You are native speakers. Teach your students English. So that was that. No curriculum, just teach them English. That was our first clue, the first of many, that we weren't real teachers. 
We didn't give or mark exams, we didn't use textbooks, we didn't attend meetings. We only saw each class of between 45 and 55 students once a week. Spending just 40 minutes a week with over 500 students meant we never stood a chance of knowing all their names, let alone how well or badly they spoke English. We were there to fulfil the school's obligation to provide native speakers. To be seen by parents in person, on the website and in the occasional newspaper article or TV commercial. We were something between celebrities and mascots. Speaking of the school website, www.dfls.net if you'd like a look. Here's how they described me online. Party Mr. Parslow, 53-year-old from Australia, Sydney. Graduated from the world-famous Sydney University's Department of English BA. Engaged in the teaching of English for many years. Professor from the students to the adult. Has a wealth of experience in teaching for a number of radio and television as a freelance competent and creative planning. Mr. Party looks like Santa Claus, sound as loud as bell, and magnetic. Kind of like he has a deep humour, sometimes occasionally say one or two words, makes people simmer with laughter. His class on it is like attending a party. Brackets, party of the English term is party. Close brackets, full of happiness. Much of that is untrue, but I hope it made you simmer with laughter anyway. In the next episode of Party in China, I finally start teaching. I know I've said that before, but this time it's true. I'm Party Parslow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. <laughs>